Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a podcast, a video cast, an audiobook, hell, even if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe Ganjemi not only knows his stuff, but he's a hard worker, he's honest, and he'll hook you up. So check out their website, Sweet Recording, S U I T E, recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have we have a good show today. My head's a little fuzzy. I was at a networking event last night and had a few too many beers, but we're gonna we're gonna slog through this. And uh, we have three people. I really I love what they do. They're they're good networkers. They're good people. Our first guest from Front End Graphics is Betty Mall. How you doing, Betty? I'm doing great. Thanks, Steve, for having me today. You're welcome. And then from Spartan Digital Solutions, we have Dave Krychak. What's up, Dave? Steve, you're the man. Thank you. And finally, from Bankers Cooperative Group, we have. A great basketball player, uh, Doug Holcomb. What's up, Doug? Not as good as Betty's husband who played D1, but I'll take <laughs> it. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> okay, so Betty, uh, tell us about uh, front-end graphics, what you do, what makes you different. Give us a little rundown of your company. Okay. Front-end graphics is a printing company. We're woman-owned and family-run, and we're located in Cherry Hill. And what we do that's different from most printers is we help you make the most of your greatest asset, which is your data. So the more you know about your customers, the easier it is for me to help you make a more productive campaign, regardless of what the widget is that you're trying to promote. So digital presses are great. You can print one, you can print 10,000, whatever you need. You can see it, touch it, feel it. And um, it's a great medium. You can still pocket it, has longevity. It's still the most effective way to market your company. So front-end graphics is different. We work with a client way upstream from print ever going on paper or in the mail to help you get the most out of that mailing, whatever it is you're doing, or your online presentation. Right. How about you, uh, Dave, Mr. Dave K? Uh, tell us about Spartan Digital Solutions. I will agree with Betty that print is amazing, but as the digital marketing guy on this call here, I have to fight for my digital. Spartan Digital, uh, we're a full-service digital marketing agency. We specialize in website development, search engine optimization, search engine marketing, and social media. We service a lot of service-based companies. Think of companies like SurfPro, Allstate, uh, plumbers, HVAC, contractors, you name it. My job is to make the phones ring and to make them money. And that's what we do. We're driving it through ads and good content and good storytelling. All right. And how about you, Doug? I know you're newer to your new job. Uh, newer job. Uh, tell us about Bankers Cooperative Group. Sure. So I've been in the industry 10 years, but BCG is an employee benefits brokerage. We've been around since 1982. We're a cooperative, making us unique that we're governed by board of directors. We, uh, we help manage an organization's EB program. So in particular, technology, product, compliance, communication behind it. We're a partner consultant first, uh, but there's no magic bullets in the industry. As we all know, nobody really likes their health insurance or feel that it's good value. Um, so what I perceive as my greatest asset isn't necessarily finding in the magic bullet, but it's uh, getting you a giving you a genuine advocate who wants to help you intentionally expand your network and drive value to your business. Um, and one of those values is I'm going to give you my cell phone. Call me whenever because there's always issues with health insurance. All right. Well, thank you about that. So I want to first my first question is um, what inspires you? We're going to start with you, Betty. What what inspires you when you when you wake up? You know, or you look for something. What is it that make gives you 
in, inspires you. Like me, I'll listen to music. Music inspires me. Or, you know, uh, the arts inspired me. But what inspires you? Um, I guess in our business, technology and what the greatest challenge will be today. It's something new every day. I get bored really easily. So I'm in the right business. I could never be bored. Um, every day there's a new challenge that comes down the pike. Or for me, what turns me on is when someone has an idea and they want us to help them get that idea down in print or online and we get to do creative with them. That's what makes me go. That's what I love. That's where my energy goes. So I get inspired by creating something new every day for my clients. Okay, how about you, Dave? I agree kind of with Betty a little bit. In the creative world, uh, we all take inspiration from our clients. And we're working, you know, we're talking to lawyers one day. We're talking to accountants the other. We kind of get to play different hats and different sides of the street. Um, we do a little bit of government work, too. So seeing the full circle of how something can be executed upon and then how that benefits us as taxpayers or us as citizens uh, from a marketing perspective of something that's legible and understanding. But just the general purpose, Steve, you know, I'm a music guy too. Um, good tunes in the morning, hop in the gym at 536 in the morning and you're with all like-minded people who want to succeed. And that's very inspiring. Right. How about you, Doug? So it's similar to what Betty and Dave said. I mean, anybody who owns a business can be a prospect of mine. Industries are heterogeneous. So I'm always learning about industries from nonprofits, the law firms, the accounting firms. So you, you really hear about some of the issues and then you draw commonalities between the industries and you create solutions um, that you can replicate regardless of the size of the employer and regardless of the industry that they're in. I have a lot of fun in just finding solutions for employers. Um, the other part is connecting. I mean, uh, as you know, side hustle is is networking and genuinely connecting with other people, getting to know them, not just on a corporate or in uh, formal level, but an informal personal level. We're all humans at the end of the day. And I think it's really cool when you kind of break through, lay your hair down and genuinely connect with somebody. So, okay, so I'm a guy who I've, I've had a lot of jobs in my life, all right? I've done a lot of stuff. I've been a corporate restaurant manager, I mean, corporate marketing restaurant manager. I've been a hand model for TV. I've been a stand-up comic. I, you know, I do, I've written a book. I just, that's me. I just fall into stuff. But why do you do what you do? Dave, why do you do what your job is? Why do you do that? I mean, because me, I just, I fall into stuff. I'm, I don't plan. I just fall into shit. I never worry about where I'm going to be. I know my bills will be paid. You know, if I had to, I would substitute teacher drive lift i just enjoy life that's i'm a i'm like a Kerouac type even though that book's overrated but dave why do you why do you do what you do um i was supposed to be an it consultant when i grew up um an mis person by trade and i jumped into this industry by accident and fell in love with it so that's why i do what i do i really don't work still i haven't found a job title yet okay well how about you doug Steve, I have a bone to pick first, and it's not about the hand modeling. It's the Kerouac reference, so I'm a big fan of On the Road. It's 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 good, but it's not legendary. You know, give me Bukowski over Kerouac. That's all I'm yeah, saying. If you, if you talk realism, but that's uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell me what. So so maybe you should be a writer. We should write a book about why we yeah. don't disagree on Kerouac. Well, no. let me put it this way. So if I was following my passion, maybe I would be a writer. But I kind of fell into uh, employee benefits by failing out of PT school. So. I put all my eggs in one basket, um, thinking I was going to go into one career, which was physical therapy. And um, 
ended up doing a complete 180 and met somebody who inspired me to go to HR conference. And again, a lot of times it's just taking that leap of faith. I went, printed uh, cards at, uh, would have used Betty if I knew her at the time, at Staples. And it had my, my name, my GPA, and my personal email. I went there, people wrapped their arms around me, and that's how I landed a job and employee benefits. Um, so it's just made sense. But really, it was taking that leap of faith and making something good out of a bad situation. How about you, Betty? Because I know you've you've been with your business since woman-owned, as you said, which in a in a, in a male-dominated yep. field. Absolutely. How, did, Absolutely. how did you get into it? I mean, it's sitting there going, okay, I'm gonna start, I'm a woman, I'm gonna start this. I mean, that's that's takes a lot of, as my mom would say, chutzpah. Um, yeah, I had a great and supporting husband, still have him. He's my right hand, and I couldn't have done any of this without him. But um, long story short, I got fired from my job. I um worked for a large technical printer. And my clients were Lockheed and RCA and GE, and I had aerospace clients. I ran proposals, and some for some reason, after I had my third baby, because I had three kids in four years, I'm Irish, it's what we do, <laughs> um, they seemed to think my monetary value diminished with that third child and some flexibility, and I was having none of that. I just said, I'm worth something, and... I decided to ask my clients if I could be a private consultant for them doing what I had done at the printer. Uh, thankfully, I had clients like Boeing and Lockheed that all said, yes, absolutely. And um, went out, started my business, had the FBI come to my house in their black suits and they got peanut butter and jelly all over their elbows. Uh, hired a woman to watch my kids and two other women's that were single mom's kids. and. The rest is history. I never looked back and I've never missed a game that my kids played. So. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. I, I didn't know that story about you. That's always good. You know, you always hear these business stories and it, it's, it's great. And it's a, uh, what are, okay. So we'll start, we'll ask, we'll stay with you, Betty. What are, what are some daily challenges you face running a business and what you do? What, what, what are some challenges that you constantly have? I know you, I said, you, you know, you, you, you like to think on the run that inspires you, but what, what are some challenges that people may not know about that a business owner faces? Um, well, there's there's always challenges. I mean, to me, the paperwork that you get bogged down with as an owner with um, not just healthcare benefits, but 401ks and making sure you're taking care of your family. Um, my company, my people are my family. I mean, I look out for them, but that's way apart from sales and marketing. That's just the people factor in your company. And you want to make sure that you allow them to balance their lifestyle. I don't like people working here super late and not having a life. I mean, flex time, people have things they need to do. If you have cats and your cat dies, you got to be there to understand that's family member for that person. So I find the, um, the heart part of the business and the people that make front end successful, that drives me every day. And you know what? Their challenges are my challenges. So just trying to be the mom and trying to be understanding and trying to allow them to be very fulfilled in what they do yet have their private life. That's a challenge every day. You got to deal with that. How about you, Doug? So I think this is probably a challenge most of us can agree on. Uh, although there's many perks working from home, not being in an office with a, a server and redundancies, but a lot of times for me, it's technology. Like 
I, I keep looking at my Wi-Fi signal to make sure it's not going to drop like it did yesterday. So if it does and I disappear, I'll be back on. Um, so that's that's number one. Number two is um, it's healthcare. Not so much health insurance, but the industry is just changing and not always for the best. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions. A lot of people just getting caught in a system that's like an immovable rock, and they have escalating costs. Um, and the quality of care isn't where it should be, at least not in this country. So honestly, it's it's those are the two biggest issues. But uh, if there's one that I would love to address, it would be the healthcare system as a whole, just to make it work better for us, make my life a lot easier, quite frankly. Hey, how about you, Mr. Dave? I know you're newer in this business, running your own business. Yeah, and a, a really good parallel between what both of you guys just said. Um, I was a single O for the first two years or so, but now we have, in the past 18 months, we've gone up to seven full-time people. So it's gone from oh shit to a lot worse than in a lot of months. So it's working on the business and not in the business anymore. Uh, basically people management. And most of that includes managing their time. I basically play what I went to school for, which is MIS and project management um, and making sure that they're happy so that they can continue to deliver the results that we need. Um, like Betty, we do some government work and when, they want stuff done. They might not pay on time, but they want it done yesterday. Um, so it's got to get done as close as possible to the timeline. And uh, it's definitely a different change. As a single O, time management, but then as a new manager um, of multiple peoples, managing seven or eight people's schedules so that your schedule can be as efficient as possible. So I can come do cool things like this. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, well, we all know each other from networking. You know, I, I have networking groups. Doug, you had a networking group. Dave, you've had events. I've met Betty at different events. And uh, I put an event on, I started with one called uh, uh, Cocktails with Cooper. And Betty was there. And it's chill. And it's what I like about it. What makes a networking event good to you? And then follow up with what makes it bad to you? Because we all go to so many events. Some are great. You know, Dave would have these events. It's great. He would have the... Well, when his when his parents have a catering company, I remember the first time we went. Holy crap! He had seafood Newberg. He I went in. This is the best food I've ever been in an event because they had leftover, but it was great. But what makes an event good to you, and what makes it bad to you? And we'll start with you, Dave, because you've hosted live events, so you know you know how to really you you have a good answer on this. I could give a dissertation on this topic. Um, as a person who also owns a catering company with my parents, we've seen both sides of the street. A good event, really on the preface of that, is knowing you have to have a mission of going to that event. And if you don't, that's okay. But the idea of, hey, I'm going to meet vetoes, very important top officers, or I'm going to make this connection or this connection, I treat it kind of like a game because I'm a Scorpio, so I like gamifying things. Um, good food always helps. And just a good atmosphere. Um not too many people where, you know, you walk into a room, we've all gone into rooms of 300 people and you're like, I really got to take this in for a second. But 30 people kind of stinks because you might know, we know probably three quarters of them. So then you're hounding 25% of the people. Um, in terms of a negative thing, there's really not too many negatives from the professional organizations that do this for a living that we're in. Um, 
but more of that i've walked into some rooms and felt a little standoffish where people are in kind of a click format and i know a couple of you you know i can talk to the wall and i'm good at getting information out of just about anybody but having bad apples in those groups really turn off the whole if not the organization just that particular event and if you're not jumping and jiving it normally you fall off the rails pretty fast when it comes to networking but if it's a great crown and it's you know a little bit of the people to get you started that web forms really quickly and you're you're working the whole room how about you betty it's funny i don't go to networking groups to uh to go after something what i do is try to meet as many people as i can and um for women, it's different than for men. And I just thank God I'm a sports addict and know a lot about all kinds of sports because this always broke the field for me with all the men in print. But um, I like a smaller group because I don't like shouting to try to talk to someone. I lose my voice very quickly. Um, I hate when someone meets you and they look past you to see who else is in the room. So smaller is better. And it gives you an opportunity in a small, like yours, Steve, it's great because there's there's enough people and you actually get to spend time with people you never see that you may know, but you can't catch up with. And finding out what everybody else does to see who can I connect down the road is like, that's my valley with. Let's find out what they do. Who do I know that's a good meet for them and, um, and paying it forward and passing it on. And I get more sales from doing that than I do from any hard sell that would ever happen. So I like to network. I like to meet people. I like to find out like with you, Steve, when we talked and I found out about your entertainment career and we had that in common, I was like, this is really cool. Like I didn't know that about you. It's there's more to Steve Cooper than just the guy you meet at the networking event and finding out who that person is is it's really great fun for me and that's what i enjoy about networking how about you doug because you you ran the holcomb hangout i i did steve uh i think participation and attendance uh paled in comparison to yours but nonetheless uh i i did that was remote um i'm over uh in a lot of ways the remote environment i love the in-person Albeit it's a lot harder for me to get to those, as you'll see, I have beautiful artwork behind me. <laughs> Anytime I go to an event, uh, I find myself having to give up a pound of flesh. So for me nowadays, it's, it has to be intentional. Um, I have to walk away with something that from a business standpoint, it will help, uh, help me move things forward. But also, if there's a personal connection I can make, and, and from a socialization standpoint, that's always a net positive, then that's killing two birds with one stone. But the way I think you get to those intentional connections is through liaisons or people that are willing to see someone in the room who's on their phone and there's always somebody. And sometimes it's me. If I walk in a room, I don't know anyone. Maybe I'm not as gregarious or outgoing as Dave. I'm going to be on my phone. To me, that's a bad sign. You want somebody to walk over, put their arm around their shoulder and say, hey, who do you want to meet? Why are you here? I think having those people in the room is so critical to ensuring that everyone there takes something away from the event. Give an example. Last night you had your event. Um, I sent my colleague, Chris. Chris didn't know anyone. You already said, hey, connect me with Chris. Want to do a follow-up. Now he's on your radar. Now he's almost under your wing. So I think it's huge to have liaisons and people that are going to help kind of moderate the event. Uh, and also, side note, cheap alcohol always helps. Uh, so okay. putting it within a, a, a nice price point always makes things a little more enticing. Deep high quality alcohol. 
Exactly. Well, that's like for me, for my event. And one of the reasons why I did it, it was because, you know, sometimes you pay for an event and you go there and it sucks. And they sit there, well, I, I, I forked out 35 bucks. I'm not going to leave. And then you go, well, it's not productive. For mine, if people walk in and they go, it sucks, they can leave. I don't care. And I had a bunch of drunk people, drunk people. We we're leaving it rolling out at seven o'clock. So anyway, so we're going to talk about a social media. Now, it's funny because we have a different age gra uh, gap here. Different, Betty, you're a little older. Dave, you're young. Doug, you're in the middle. And social media is different. For like me and Betty, when it wasn't around for us, you know, I mean, and then it came out. And Doug, you got it later. And Dave, it's been a part of your life probably pretty much your whole life. What are some things that irk you on like LinkedIn? And I'm going to start. I hate when people automatically say award-winning now i can understand if you've won like if you're printer of the year by something i understand that buddy you should put that but some people i mean they could have won like a fifth grade spelling bee and they'll say award-winning because <laughs> they're just full of shit i mean people on linkedin are full of shit you see people all these events they have all these pictures well are you getting any business from it so award-winning is that was on my tangent right now that's what pisses me off when i see award-winning what are some things that piss you off and be open and don't worry about offending people and we'll start with you dave because you deal in social media a lot so what is something like pisses you off yeah there's the public perception of and this is social media as a whole but then i'll pick on linkedin um there's people that fake it till they make it on social media and that kind of award-winning thing is in there unless it's a statewide award or above I don't really want to hear about it. Um, and for LinkedIn, being an authentic self, because a lot of what LinkedIn is now is what Facebook was five or six years ago. LinkedIn poached a lot of old Facebook employees. So if you've seen that becoming more Facebook-esque, that is why. Um, and just being more transparent. Uh, people hide a lot through the events and posting and all that stuff. And the people that are posting 65, 70 million times a day probably aren't doing too much business development phone calls or contract negotiations or any of that stuff. Um, we post because I send it to our team that we do a couple hundred social media posts a day. So we, we're on autopilot. But just be wary of people that are crazy, crazy on LinkedIn that might not have the team managing it because they're probably got some smoke up their butt. All right. How about you, Betty? I hate seeing these people that want me to see them at the gym. I'm like so over it. I got to look at this person every morning. I got to hear what he had for breakfast. I got to know he's there at 530. I personally don't give a crap what you're doing at 530 in the morning. But when I see it every day, it's like, cut me a break. I just scroll right through them now. I don't even pay attention. How about you, That's Doug? my big beef. It annoys the heck out of me. I agree. I think it's the misappropriation of certain terms like coach, expert, and Steve, I know this is kind of playing off your comment, but, um, you know, I don't necessarily fault the person who's branding it. I think it's the audience and I'm not going to bring up politics, I promise, but I think as a society, we are not as discerning as we should be. And I think if you just kind of cut through the artificial and you actually click on the page and you look at the content, you go on their website you could probably pretty quickly figure out whether it's bullshit or not. Um, so I don't so much put the fault on the people who are posting that they're an expert in the field and maybe they're really not. I think it's more so the the audience and the potential consumers. 
Um, but yeah, that that definitely, I, I think there's overused terms. And uh, Betty, I agree. I think, you know, there's a time and place for uh, posting your daily routine out in the world. And I get it. Some people want that positive feedback. But again, like the platform matters. And maybe keep that on LinkedIn, on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Let's keep things kind of business oriented on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's funny on Facebook, my Facebook is completely different than my LinkedIn. I don't, yeah. I don't put yeah. any of my jokes. I don't put any of my stuff because I, I don't, I don't put that. I don't, I don't want people to know that, but talking about, you said something about artificial. I want to talk about AI because I'm, I'm very anti AI and everyone has their things. And I, I got so pissed off when I went on LinkedIn and it suggested that I could put my post using AI to me, AI takes it takes away creativity. It takes individualism, individual. I can't even say it. So that's how pissed off I am. And uh, and it's also it's one of those things you can tell when someone posts from AI. It's the same shit. Like it's the same structure. And that's a big thing. And I have Hollywood friends who are Hollywood writers, and I'm very anti AI because of them and the actors I know because AI is screwing over the entertainment business. But AI, are you a fan, Doug? Are you a fan of AI? And if so, why? If you're not a fan, if so, why? Because people love it. I just hate it. Uh, AI scares the shit out of me. I'll give you two reasons. The first is, um, although it's becoming regulated, it's really unregulated. So uh, I don't want it to to replace human decency and uh, the need for humans to be doing certain tasks. That's number one. Number two, my wife's a teacher. So um, you know, her students are literally banging out PowerPoints and papers and you can't check it because you need AI to combat AI. That's the issue. Um, so it's, it's going to be problematic for her. I do think there's a place for it though. I'm just not quite sure where I think, uh, there are mundane tasks that you can automate that'll make our lives a little bit more, not productive, but meaningful in that we can focus on tasks that we actually care about. Like Betty said, the admin part. That sucks. Like rote memorization, those menial, stupid day-to-day tasks. If we could automate those through AI, that'd be great. But unfortunately, I don't think you can just get that and not get the other side where AI uh, and cybernet completely takes over our, our nation and we become, you know, slaves to it. How about how about you, Betty? I see um, AI having a place in certain things that we do in here production-wise that make life go much faster for us, Um, just like Photoshop things, things we want to do to make something have a little more impact. I definitely see an application in our business. I also see a danger. I see copywriters losing their jobs if people start using AI. Um, Like you, my heart goes to anybody in the entertainment business. They're going to get ripped off. This is not a good thing. So I think there has to be there's definitely a place for it. I think it can improve functions, um, uh, like Doug said, that are repetitive within the office structure. But I think we have to be very, very careful where this goes, um, or there's going to be an awful lot of people that are out of work. So you? Yeah, I, I see that being a danger in a lot of ways. And who's doing the back end on this? You know, what's the slant? What's the bias? What goes in there? Um, I don't approve of somebody uh, like a John Wayne or some famous actor being in a movie again because they reprised him in AI. This is just not okay. So there's ethics there that I think that are really going to be difficult to control, but I think there has to be mechanisms to do that. How about you, Dave? Because you're you're an, you're you're a young guy. You're in that area. What's your what's your take on it? 
We use AI for certain aspects of the business, um, but we do have copywriters on staff and you need a human to, even if you're using AI, humans need to interpret what that says and still add a humanistic form to it. Because as you just noted, we can tell when things are being posted with AI 100%. Um, I do think that there needs to be some regulation on it in terms of how biases are conducted because there are things for all sides of the coin. Um, but on the business side, I haven't taken notes on a Teams meeting in six months. Uh, it automates all of our note-taking processes so that we can work on what we're working on instead of talking, note-taking, talking, note-taking. We can just talk. Um, and nobody's allowed to procrastinate anymore on the team because we can ask AI for 47,000 ideas just to get the brain strolling again. And then it requires the human to take over and then become the creative aspect is that's what people are paying for, even on the print and the digital side. That's the interpretation of the art or what gets spit out. And then that modification to it that makes it the specialty. So it's funny when I first heard AI, I was thinking practice. We're talking practice whenever I hear AI. Uh, here's a question. What is a characteristic or a trait? What characteristic that when you're doing business with someone or when you're starting to network with someone, what is a characteristic that, that is very important to you? Like for me, it's integrity. I want someone with integrity. I always say I would rather drink with a dishwasher than drink with a CEO who's a piece of crap. Okay. That's just my feeling. Cause a lot of it's integrity, Dave, what is someone, what, what do you look for in someone? What is, what is a characteristic that is very important to you when you're going to network with this person or say, Hey, you know what? I know this person. They're, they're, they're good to me because we always get introduced to people. What's a characteristic that you look at? Well, it's in our core values too. And it was under my logo for a long time. Um, is integrity, which is probably one of my biggest ones. If not second, honesty. I'm a very cutthroat person, uh, very straight and narrow. And if you just tell me like it is, we'll adapt and overcome to whatever that situation is, whether it's you need help being introduced to X or you're a client and we have Y problem. How about you, Betty? I always warn people, please don't ask me what I think because I'm going to tell you. I'm very straightforward and very forthright. And if I think somebody is making a big mistake on something they wanna do, I'll share with them why I think that's problematic. They can do what they wanna do, but I always try to advise them in their own best interest because I know what can go wrong in production. So I'm a, a very straight shooter. Um, I'll give you an example. We had a gentleman that wanted to produce a very large hardware catalog and mail it. And I just said, you don't want to do that. And we instead implemented with him a sales brochure program that became extremely effective. He increased his sales 100%. He would have drowned in debt trying to mail out a book that weighed close to a pound. I said, don't do that. That's a foolish spend. As much as I'd love to do that printing, I don't want you to do that. And we help them be successful in another way. So I like a, a straightforward conversation. I'm going to listen. I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. Whether or not you want to do that is totally up to you. You're the client. That's being straightforward and being honest. How about, how about you, Doug? Steve, just to rephrase, this is what I look for in, in someone else, correct? Yes. So, um, I mean, integrity is great. 
I would love everyone to act with integrity. Sometimes I feel like that's hard to that's hard to to manifest right off the bat. I think typically you need some conflict to see if somebody has integrity. Um, but uh, and I don't have a good synonym for it, but like emotional intelligence, not to steal from Doug uh, or um, Jeffrey Lurie. Um, and it's an overused word, but I, I feel like. Uh, Everyone probably here has that go-giver mentality. Again, another overused term, but where you meet somebody and you connect and you're really chomping at the bit to help them in any way possible. Um, when you do it time and time again, and the other person doesn't really get it or they don't necessarily reciprocate. To me, that's, that's a relationship. Typically, that's not going to pan out well in my book. So usually it's just understanding the, the art of, of giving and then reciprocating. And I think a lot of that falls under emotional intelligence. Okay. Now, how do you guys define success? We all have different things for success. You know, some people do it monetary. Um, you know, I'm, I feel successful because I have a good life. I have a great wife. Um, I, I have a roof over my head. You know, I'm not a big star. I wanted that when I was younger. I'm glad I didn't get it because I wouldn't know any of you and I'd probably be dead. But, uh, but how do you how do you define success, Doug? How do you define it for you? Yeah, success for me, probably like for yourself, kind of gets dumbed down every couple of years. You know, initially you want to go professional, whether it's a sport or you want to be in Hollywood, you want to be the president. So I think, uh, and I don't think that's necessarily selling yourself short. I just think it's getting a more narrow focus on where you're at in your life. So for me, um, it's just being the the, the best. Uh, the best parent, best father possible for my kids. And that ties into business. I mean, ultimately you have to have a, a good income source, a consistent income source and a roof over your head. You have to be a good state of mind. Um, so for me, it's just being uh, the best father possible because uh, my kids and my, and my wife are the most important things in my life. How about you? How about you, Dave? I think at my stage now, uh, if you don't want more money, anybody uh, listening to this or on this call, you're not in the right capitalistic society, right? But we can always get more of that. Uh, I really think it comes down to freedom of time management and being able to do what you want when you want while still achieving if you have business goals or achieving the goals for your people. Um, not a parent, but as an uncle, being able to do what I want with the nieces and nephews and go on trips with them and go see them in Washington and go do what they need to do to see them be successful. That's my definition of success right now. How about you, Betty? Um, my idea of success is having enough going on in your own business that you can spend time doing things that satisfy your heart needs. And for me, it's my nonprofits. Like I'm very involved in Impact 100, I'm an honorary commander up at the base. I love going up to the 305th, hanging with those young service people. I don't get to do that if the mechanism behind me is not successful enough to allow me to get out and do that stuff. So I guess um, giving back, like I've, I helped feed 15,000 families last year during the holidays because I made the time to go do that. And I couldn't do it without the success and the people that are behind me that allow me to go do that. So I think having enough is a really great thing and just counting your blessings and be able to give some of that back out 
it's a great feeling and that's very fulfilling to me. So that's my idea of success, having the ability and the time to go do that while I still do something I love when I'm here. Okay. So my latest venture is I'm writing a business book. It's about networking. It's called the uh, Don't Be a Jerk, the comedy of networking. It's it's a humorous look at networking. It's my credo, don't be a jerk. Now, I don't read business books. And I, I go into breakout rooms and they go, what's the last thing you read? And I'm like, Dirt by Motley Crue. I like that stuff. I, I like I like celebrity stuff. I love that kind of things. I'll listen to books on tape. You know, Richard Blade, the DJ, was on my show, my podcast. So I listened to his book on tape. I don't read business books, but a lot of people do. I want to go around and each of you tell me one business book that you read that has made a difference. Because I also don't like what people say, oh, this book changed my life. No, no, nothing changes your life. Except for me, it was a cardiologist. But nothing changes. I don't can't see a book changing your life. I can see a book influencing you. But what is a book that you've read that has a business book that has made a difference for you? And we'll start with you, Dave. I was trying to see if I had it. Um, it's a little far away, but Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Um, when I was a kid, we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, wanting to be a pro or wanting to be this. I wanted to be an FBI agent. So uh, this Chris Voss comes out with this book about everything in life being a negotiation. And now I will always ask for deals on literally everything. I never did that. If the price was the price, you know, we'll, we'll do that. But uh, it's everything about structuring deals and building human rapport and, you know, a little bit of some psychological tricks in there to get some price off of stuff when you, when you're out in the world, just living. So that's a great book. How about you, Betty? Um, the only one that I really kind of liked, and I'm with you because I have so much business all day long, all night long in here. I prefer something that entertain me, entertains me. Like I like a murder in the first four pages and then I'll read the book. <laughs> but um, if I'm going to do a business book, I guess Blue Ocean Strategies was very interesting to me. Um, there were approaches in that book that I didn't think I was going to like. And I, after I read it and thought about it, I thought, well, there's some good tidbits. I mean, you get something to put in your pocket. The book's worthwhile. But for me, I'm a murder mystery girl for the most part. Okay, so you're like me. And how about you, Doug? I, you seem like a business book reader. Yeah, you, you have, you know, you're a, a smart guy. I don't know, yeah. it just comes across, you know, you got that Tony Reale thing going. I don't know what it is. Oh, I love it. That's I'll take that as a compliment. Um, so actually I probably have a lot more fiction than I do nonfiction. Um, huge supporter of of fiction. I, I like that, just the creativity of it. So I'm gonna give you two. Uh Zion the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Piercig. Um, although it's fiction, it's actually nonfiction, it's based on his life. It teaches you how to be present, again, in those mundane tasks that we all hate. Um, and I think being present is such a uh, difficult thing to achieve in today's society. Uh, even for me, and I've checked my phone probably three times, I'm sorry, Steve, during the, uh, during the, the, the podcast. Um, so that's number one. Number two would be, um, gosh, I had it. Um, I lost it. So there you go. Uh, maybe I need to get back to my zen. But, you got to get back to yours. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're going to, one final question and uh, take your time on this. If you were meeting someone, and this is going to be different because Dave, as I said, Dave, you're younger, but if you're, if you're meeting someone who's coming out of trade school, college, high school, you know, they, they want to, they're eager. They want to start, they want to get in business. They're, they're ready. What, what advice 
would you give to them? Looking at this person, they said, hey, you know, do you have any advice for me? What, Betty, what advice would you give that young, young person? Okay, I would tell them, and what I find a lack of is they need to be patient in their growth. They need to absorb like a sponge everything they can learn at every level of the way to get them where they have to go. And what we found um, when I talked to college kids and I talked to high school kids, they want to play Chopin without learning how to play scales. And I think that we have a society right now that thinks, oh, it's a computer, I'll just push buttons and go. Well, there's a lot of methodology and structure behind the keys on that computer. And I think to take the time and be patient and learn from people who know more than you um, is a really hard thing to do, but I think it's a great road to success. I would also say to them, give yourself two years at every job you get to learn everything you can about that business and then go next level rather than um, gig mentality, a job here, a job there, I'll bounce here for a dollar. Um, I think we need to try to drive home that there's patience involved in growth. And if you do that, you're going to be very, very successful. So I guess give themselves time and be a sponge would be my best advice to them. How about you, Doug? I'd say get out of your head and get into your environment. So I think, um, especially with social media, it's so easy to be extremely self-critical and just to never get started because of all the negative feedback, that negative feedback loop, we're constantly being, uh, uh, falling victim to, unfortunately. Um, so I think just getting out there, just again, taking that proverbial leap of faith, which um, I know from experience took me a long time to stop uh, being self-limiting, essentially. Um, so I think that's number one. Number two would be read a book. Um, you know, don't scrape the surface when it comes to information. Although I, I get it, like at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I scroll through my phone and I'll read maybe the first couple sentences. I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. I got the gist. But I think that's harmful. And I think ultimately, if the younger generation can start just understanding the information and the mechanisms behind it and reverse engineering that information, I, I just think that collectively we're going to be a lot uh, better for it. So just, you know, let's end the superficiality. Let's go a little about, deeper. How about you, Dave? Well, we hire a lot of these people. Uh, the average age of the company is older than me. So we deal with that experience. And I think with those people, we've hired a lot of failed entrepreneurs too, to be, you know, creatives with us. Um, not everybody needs to be an owner, A. Eh? Because you could still own your own position and your own department and your own structure um, in your own way. And not everybody has to be a crazy super salesman. But the people that are good at networking and good at sales and all that stuff, you need to understand that what you're good at and your talents and abuse those. Because that is what's going to get you up a leg over somebody else because you're just gifted with those things like being extroverted or being able to go talk to the wall or walk into a room with 300 people and have a good time uh, versus 
you know, a creative artist or a musician or screenwriter, anything of that nature. And again, Betty, that phrase, I've been using that a lot, what you just said is being a sponge and just walking into everything. Um, a funny story, we're going to a training tomorrow up in North Jersey for something completely random for a new client of ours. And I know nothing about it, but we're going there and even we'll be with, you know, the generals of that industry, if you want to call it. But you can still learn something out of every mundane training, task, cert, whatever you're going to do. Always try to find something positive out of that because you can learn out of something you've done a hundred times. You can still agree. agree on something and still level up from that. That was awesome. You know, this, I always end the show with that question because it's funny. This is the first time no one said mentors, but it's, it's but a lot of times I say, but, but all the information you gave was great because you're right. And I agree with all of it. And that's why there's no wrong answer to that because you always give someone the, uh, the advice or you talk to people about things and there's no wrong answer. And I want to thank you for all coming on. Now tell people how they can get in touch with you. Betty, how can they come to get their printing needs and get in touch with you? Well, they should come by. They should come by and see what we have in here and what we do in here, because everyone is always very surprised that this is a big operation in here. So you can either come visit us. You can call me directly at uh, 856-547-1600. Got a brand new press in here I can show you. Um, we've got a website, www.frontendgraphics.com, but we always answer the phone and we love to hear what you're thinking to see if we can help you get that done. How about you, Dave? How can they come to Spartan Digital and get in touch with you? Well, they say they're friends with you, Steve. We'll give them some free consultation on how to not suck at social media. Uh, <laughs> 856-669-8958. But uh, anything on our website, spartandigital.com, or just throw it into Google. And if we did our job right, we should come up first. And how about you, Doug? Steve, the book is The Sells Human by Daniel Pink. That okay. was the other one. I'm so glad I remembered it. I was getting concerned. Uh, just find me on LinkedIn. So it's not cute. It's just Doug Holcomb. Um, and, and DM me and let's strike up a conversation. Uh, our website's www.bcg-nj.com. But again, just find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Yeah, people, you can find me on LinkedIn under Steve Cooper. Also, if, if you want to sponsor the coop tank you know the people who come on my shows are industry leaders the people who listen and watch my show are industry leaders and they're go-getters they make shit happen and they're going to tell people that if they hear about your company and they like you so you can reach out to me at the coop tank at yahoo.com you can sign up for a, a one episode two episodes or four episodes there's a price break for all of them it's low cost it's effective and will work for you uh, also, listen to past shows of the audio at thecooptank.podbean.com or on spot uh, on Amazon Music, Spotify, or uh, iHeartRadio. And also, you can go to YouTube and just look up The Coop Tank, watch the shows, rate them, subscribe, make a comment. And I want to thank Joe Ganjemi, a sweet recording, the best producer in town. There's a reason why I do my show here, and it's because of Joe. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper, and I will talk to all of you next week.